Welcome to Jewish History with Rabbi David Katz, connecting the human side to Jewish history. For sponsorship opportunities or to support this podcast, please visit our donate page at www.support.rabbidavidkatz.com. Hi, it's um, Thursday night. This is the last day of Hanukkah, last night of Hanukkah. Just lit the candles, more or less. And I was asked by uh, Mishpachat Stefanski to speak about the concept of Zos Hanukkah, which, to tell you the truth, neither he nor I, nor Salah or, or, or myself, are Zos Hanukkah people, because it's a Hasidic custom, uh, primarily. Zos Hanukkah became a big deal in the 1700s, 1800s. Not really before that. At least to the best of my knowledge. You know, what do I know? Um... And uh, I never grew up with that sort of thing. It's the last day Hanukkah, period. However, it is interesting. I didn't. I was hesitating to do it, but then I figured I will. This is being sponsored in member of his father's yard site, which is three days in in, in is it yeah three days in Tavis. Is that today? I think so. So um, this this will be Lazech Nishmas Yisachar Meir Ben Baruch, as I mentioned yesterday. The uh, yard site is 2019. Gimel Tavis Tav Shani and Tess. And as I reported last time, he's described as someone from the old school, meaning he's not Barech Achara Kovet. Most people are Barech Achara Kovet. Right? He was devoted to Yiddishkeit, supporting Torah and the needy and community for all but Sino. Never asked for anything and ran away from Kovet. Uh, you know, <laughs> a lot of people say they're running away from Kovet, but you know the old joke. You know, It never caught me. So while well, you were always running away, but looking behind your back, it was catching up to you. You know, I guess he wasn't like that. In the old school, they say, I think that's how the pasuk goes, which means if you get a lot of credit downstairs, so when you get to heaven, you show them all your plaques and your uh, certificates from schools and most of the yeshivas, and that's great. You know, I'm not knocking that. But the ones that don't go that route, they, uh, you know, the, their deeds have to precede them to uh, to uh, the Shemayim, to the pearly gates. Uh, I didn't know him, but that's the way he's described. Uh, so anyhow, let's get down to this, which is unusual subject for something such as myself. But it's interesting from a cultural, a mystical, and historical point of view. In other words, what's up is they made a big deal out of the last day of Hanukkah. <clears throat> the fact is, it's I'm just putting it together the best I can. This is this is my understanding of it. Maybe I'm wrong, I'm telling you my That's all I ever do. My understanding. And I'm not Hasidic, so, you know, keep that in mind. Now, <clears throat> the eighth day of Hanukkah combines like a confluence of several different factors. It's interesting when you think about it. First of all, the idea of an eight-day Chag is unusual. Only Sukkot is like that. Pesach is not. Shavuos is not. Rosh Hashanah and Kippur are not. Only Sukkot. You have Shemini Atzeris. Shemini Atzeris is part of Sukkot, except for Pezer Keshev, you know, except for the, except where it isn't. But otherwise, it's sort of like, you know, it's a regular Bifniyatsu in some respects, but not in all. So, um, you have such a thing called, in the, in the Chumash, you know, but Yom Shemini Atzeris to Yelachem. So Hanukkah happens to be, you have an eight-day holiday, which is most unusual. I think, me, myself, and I, I think, leave me early, that attracted the attention of thinkers 
of Balamachshava, and that sort of thing long ago, this idea of an eight-day festival. Now, if you go from the mundane plain meaning, you say, listen, there was enough oil for one day, lasted for eight days, and then went out. So that's why you keep the holiday for eight days. You see? But you know how it goes. That's a dry, dull historian. The mystic wants to say, I guess, fire of us. Why did it go out after the eight days? You understand? Now you'll come back to me and say, if you choose to follow <coughs> these particular shonen, the people are guessing why it's eight days. <coughs> I think Duran and others, they say, you know, it took time to get new oil. Four days there, four days back. Okay, that's a mundane, plain reason. That's why it's the eighth day. In other words, once they brought new oil, that was tar, there was no longer a need for an ace, and then they went out, and they could be rekindled from regular oil. But until then, the oil wasn't available, and they had to rely on an ace. That's the story we all know. But again, the mystic says like this, oh, but for us, why is it that, you know, divine providence so ordered matters that it took eight days to get the new oil? There's something happens with the eight, okay? In addition to that, um, Sukkot, as we know, um, and Pesach also in a certain way, has a funny aspect of Yantav, and that is, there's also Malach on the first and the last day. Correct? And in the middle is a Chalamayid. But the first and the last day, you know, in, in Israel. Uh, so think about that. You have Sukkot in Israel, the first and the last day is also Ben Malachan. The Armin Hagim, I think in the tour in Shulchan Aruch even, they say the Armin Hagim not to do work on the first and the last day. I believe the Chayyotim, if I remember correctly, talks about that custom as well. Uh, I never seen anybody do it, but, you know, those are honorable old customs from long ago. And that's because they wanted to give, uh, as a Hanhaga, not as a din, right? As a pietistic move, they wanted to accord Hanukkah the status of Mamsha, major holiday. But it's not obligatory. You don't have to do it. It's not a din in the Torah. But nevertheless, they wanted to endow Hanukkah with a tremendous status. And by re- and by treating it as a yantav, that you don't do Malach on the first day and the last day, you know, you give it that aspect of it. There's a whole separate schmooze that I did last year or two years ago whenever about women working on Hanukkah. I don't want to get into that. Just the idea that the last day is some kind of a yantav. It resembles yantav. And therefore their customers about no working endows the Zos Hanukkah, which is the last day of Hanukkah, because as you know, the laning tomorrow is Zos Hanukkah Samizbeach. So the laning gives the name. But it gives the eighth day of, of Hanukkah, if you wish to go that route, some kind of special you know, sort of status. The other days you do Malach, and this day you say you don't. Okay? Again, it resembles Sukkot, and for what it's worth, in the second book of Maccabees, second book of Maccabees, which is certainly not a from book, necessarily it's in the Apocrypha, it talks about the fact that they celebrated Hanukkah for eight days because they hadn't been able to keep Sukkot they, a little while before, if I remember correctly, they were in the mountains fighting and hiding from the Greeks, and they weren't able, under wartime conditions, to keep the eight-day holiday circus. So now they had Hanukkah, they were able to recapture the base of Megush and retire everything and light the candle, so they made it like an eight-day thing. In other words, why Hanukkah is actually eight days is not clear. Uh, there's the, and uh, I've talked about this ad nauseum. You know, you have the Miguelis Tainus version, you have the Yosifan version, the Josephus version, you have Miguelis Antiochus, you have the Gemara, the part that it quotes from Miguelis Tainus, and so forth. And there are different accounts different descriptions of what my Hanukkah is, <laughs> okay? I'm not going to repeat myself that I did in the past, that, you know, Hanukkah has three parts. If you look, now it's the last day of Hanukkah. Take the trouble to look 
like the long paragraph in the Megillus Tinus, after it says the 25th of uh, Kislev, Chanukia Inun, Tamanya Inun, it's eight days, and just read how it describes, very interesting detail, how the holiday of Hanukkah was, uh, was masakened, was organized, ordained. So we have this idea that it's like a Shemini Atzeres, so to speak, sort of, okay, which makes it different. Thirdly, we have the long tradition, I'm thinking of Maral, but I'm sure he's not the only one, who says that eight in general, as everybody knows nowadays, because here these Tavar Torahs all the time, and Shiurim, whatever, eight is Lamayla Menateva, correct? So seven days, like seven days a week, that's a Teva, and eight is Lamayla Menateva. And how many Dvar Torahs have been composed where he said, you know, Hanukkah is eight days, Brismila is eight days, on Hanukkah, the Yavonah tried to stop the Brismila, and then they conquered it again, so on and so forth, you know. And, and there are old sources that talk in those terms, right? There are sources that talk in those terms. So the idea of, uh, you know, the eighth day being Lamaila Manateva captured the imagination of mystics long, long ago. I think it might be in the Zohar. I don't, I don't remember. I don't feel well today, really under the weather. You got the heebie-jeebies and who knows what. I'm shaking as I'm talking to you. So I'm not running around and pulling out all the books in the library. I'm doing this solo. I have no choice. Um, so you have, again, you have the idea that it's a Yontav type thing. You have a thing that reminds you of Sukkot and Shemina Tzeres, right? And you have the whole concept from the morale that's Lomayla Minateva. If you buy into that, then the last day has a different character. When you celebrate a Hanukkah for the seven days, that's one Madriga of Ruchnias. When you celebrate the eighth day, it's already a transcendental, higher level of Ruchnias, and therefore should be commemorated as such, and different, you have special ceremonies and stuff like that for Zos Hanukkah. That's where I think the Hasidim picked it up from. This idea that you can get the special Lamaila Menateva type things. The Litvaks, as far as I'm aware, didn't do this, but the other ones did. Um, it's just interesting. Uh, I would also throw in, I remember I saw this, I thought I saw it in the Yisod Shoshavoda, I can't find my copies lying around somewhere. Uh, the first volume, not the second. You know, the good woman and the kudos. But I looked up online, and uh, it, it doesn't have what I thought he said. So it must be in some other safer like that. I, I can't believe I didn't see it there. I have a distinct memory. And he talks about the fact that um, Hanukkah in general, Kabbalistically, is the end of Yom Kippur. <clears throat> in other words, you're judged in Rosh Hashanah, assuming that's the case, you're really, or you're, you know, let's say you're Bainani, then you really judge the Chvesa on Yom Kippur. Uh, it ought to be that once Yom Kippur's over, it's over. In other words, if you were Don L'chaim, you got Chaim. If you are Don L'misa, you got Misa. You're toast. But long ago, maybe the Zohar said, I don't remember that reason. They said, no, no, no. You actually have a period of time, uh, extra 50 days, from Simchas Torah, you know, from Shemini Tzeres, until Hanukkah. And the way it's described, I'm going by memory here, the way it's described is the judge, you know, issued a verdict on Yom Kippur. Um, according to Kabbalah, you, have an, you really have Toshana Rabbah. Whatever it is, you got the verdict. But the verdict was not dispatched to be executed, to be put into place, until later, 
another 50 days or something like that. You see, Hanukkah comes out basically like the Atzeris, you know what I'm saying? I think it's like 50 days or something to that effect. So just like Shavuos is the Atzeris for Pesach, so Hanukkah would turn out to be the Atzeris for uh, Sukkot. The Medrash Rabbah, and I think Kohelis or Shereshim says that the Rabbani Shalom did not make an Atzeris for uh, Sukkot. As you know, there's no holiday in the winter. There's only Sukkot. But that's because God had pity on the Jews to compel people to walk to Jerusalem in the summer is hard enough. To walk to Jerusalem in the winter in the rainy season, I mean, that's really uh, too hard. You can hear that. And so Hashem said, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll let it go. Or maybe, if, according to some versions, I'll make the Shemini Atzeris immediately after Sukkot. That way, you'll be able to do Shemini Atzeris and then hit the road and get back in time for the rain set. That sort of thing. However, when Hanukkah popped up as a holiday in the winter, people could not, in my opinion, people could not help, um, thinkers could not help notice, now you have an Atzeris in the winter. You understand? And it's divinely ordained because the miracle took place on Hanukkah and the oil lasted for eight days. That's a sign from God. I'm upstairs that I want this to be a special day. As we know. So it's not just a, a victory or something like that. It's more than that. And so they advanced the idea that uh, you are judged on Rosh Hashanah and Kippur or maybe Shana Rabbah, but the uh, action orders from the judge, I forget what they're called in legal jargon, are not issued by the court until Hanukkah. I had a guy in my shul moved to Israel and uh He's not a young man now. And uh, he told me that long, long ago, he was active in the Soviet Jewry movement when they were protesting that they wouldn't let the Jews out. Then he and a bunch of guys went to protest at the Bolshoi Ballet. We're talking, I guess, in the 70s, 60s or 70s, something like that. When the Russian Ballet <coughs> came to America, um, they came to make a protest. Not like the Palestinian protesters who were, you know, so destructive. But still, you know, I know what they did. They stood up, they carried signs, something like that. And they knew that they're going to get arrested. This is the good old 60s, I think, when it was like a sign of cover to get arrested by the Vietnam War. You know what I'm saying? They had all these demonstrations or the civil rights marches. Rabbis, government people, others would get arrested by the cops. It was a pro forma. They spent half hour in jail or less, and then they were released. Now, Listen closely. If you're a prominent person or a business, self-employed or something like that, so big deal. You have a little mark on your record. Anybody can tell that you were arrested for the Soviet jewelry. You know, in other words, it's not typical. You're not a troublemaker. You're not somebody goes around and causes all kind of stuff. You're not a nut, right? It was a noble cause. Uh, same way the Vietnam. Uh, protesters were looked at as a noble cause, same way that the civil rights protested as a noble cause. How many times did Martin Luther King arrested? You know, they can't. But but he, they didn't treat him like somebody with a record. Okay. However, this guy I'm talking about told me that he and his friends were like young, and they were trying to get into college or maybe medical school or law school or something like that, something like that. And there you run into the uh, bureaucracy. Where when you submit your 
application. They'll say, do you have a record? Yeah, I was arrested once. Well, that's it. Shalom. And you can't say, well, I was in a good cause and this and that and the other. Back in those days, apparently they didn't care about that stuff. And you just didn't get into the graduate school, college, whatever it is that you want to get into. So this is a little bit like what you and I follow now. With some of these rich uh, Jewish millionaires are saying, I want to find out who's marching against Israel, and I, and I want to not give them a job when they get out. Right? Hit them where it counts. <clears throat> the Zidus guy was afraid of that. However, he said, it was in D.C., and they went for a Jewish judge, some kind of name like Friedman, something like that. And what the judge did was, he did find him guilty, as per the law, because they didn't even deny that they did it. You know, whatever they did, public disturbance, riot, whatever you call it. <laughs> but the only thing is, he kept a verdict, which was issued by the court, in his desk, and he never ever took it out. You get it? The judge has that um, option, right? You did do something, we did find you guilty, but nobody's going to know about it unless I send it out. And it gets into the paper trail of the system, of the legal system. Otherwise, there's no record of it. If there's no record of it, then from the point of view of the school you're trying to get into, it didn't happen. V'kachava. So in other words, somewhere, in somebody's, uh, some dead judge's uh, papers, you'll find you know, an arrest or a, or a conviction from this guy way back in the 1960s. You know, uh, but nobody ever knew about it. And he went on to have a successful career in the business that he was in. I'm not going to give any details. Uh, I'm just saying, that's the concept that you have in... The Kabbalistic literature, Legabe Hanukkah, which means that even if you're a Russia where you're found guilty because you have Rova Vonus, however, the system works, right? But it's not too late to do Shua. Now, ordinarily, you say it's too late now. I mean, Yom Kippur's over, and I got my petek, whatever it is upstairs in heaven. We all wish each other a good and fitful, but not everybody gets one. And Gamarnu, you know, what will happen will happen. But of course, that would put a lot of people in a certain depression, wouldn't it? If you think about it, you're toast. You know, your trial took place and you didn't change your lifestyle significantly. And said, whatever it is. And therefore, goodbye. <laughs> people would be in very big depression. You understand? That's my opinion. Consequently, they pushed the idea, which he found in Kabbalistic literature, that really, 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 it ain't over till Hanukkah, till the Atzeris. You get it? And so you can still do tshuva until Hanukkah. When on Hanukkah, they say it's the eighth day. Oh, that's those Hanukkah. You understand? In other words, if you're listening to this, and you take this seriously, you say, whatever I messed up with on the High Holy Days, the Yom Neroim, Today, I mean today, today, is the time to repent for it. Because we're still under the wire. And if, you know, I said I was going to stop saying Lashon Har, and I didn't stop saying Lashon Har, well, doggone it, you better stop right now. Right? And if you honestly do, with a sincere heart, Charat Olav Kabbalah said if you do that, it's not too late. Then even the bad decree that was issued for you on Yom Kippur, let's say, or possibly on on, um Shanarabba, whatever it is, will, will not be executed, will not be delivered. I don't know how they work it out that the judge in heaven keeps the, the record in his, his desk, but it's the basic, the same idea. 
which is one way or the other, it doesn't get acted upon. You see? And that's all I want. If, God forbid, there's a bad decree on somebody and something bad is going to happen this year, as a result of the fact that he repents, up to and including, and especially, up to including Hanukkah, and especially the end of Hanukkah, so notice, not only did they give you Hanukkah, but they gave you the whole doggone holiday, Ad Kedai, the last one, so then the last day, basically, is a little bit like a Yom Kippur. You understand? And this is stressed in the Hasidic literature and the other things like that. And uh, you look it up, but you saw those kind of places. And uh, and therefore, <clears throat> that gave it a big oomph. Because if you take what I just said seriously, the eighth day of Hanukkah is not just the time you light eight candles. It's a lot more than that. Matter of fact, lighting the candles may be secondary to what I'm talking about. Alternatively, depending on how inventive your mind is, the lighting of the candles may be intimately connected with this. What do I mean? The Mikabalim and the others all talk about the fact they should sit and watch the, uh, the the candles for a half hour. Didn't contemplate them. And the idea of looking at the fire is obviously a profoundly mystical and possibly a magical one. But it's there. And how should I put it? <clears throat> what are you looking at? Right? If you want to put it in some kind of rational way, now, you can't put in my my Manadean spin on a Kabbalistic custom, but I'm going to do that. If you want to put it in a rationalistic way, what you're saying is like, if you look at the fire, and you see light, and you look for clarity, get it? You want clarity. Main reason for doing a virus, we always say, is Timtum Alev. There are all kinds of things that cause Timtum Alev. The heart to be stopped up. I think it's very, very interesting, because I'm saying it this year, right now, when the war is on in Gaza, because... As we all know bitterly well, Israel majorly screwed up on this uh, attack that took place by Hamas on Simchastoro. Mamish because of Timpan Malev. Think about it. I mean, that's what all the news outlets are talking about. They were warned. They allowed themselves to be persuaded the warnings were not true. Altogether, when they talked themselves into the idea that Hamas is harmless in whatever degree or the other, or their interest in a political solution, Mamish. People in the lower elements warned them. The Tatsbiniot that they talk about now, those girls who saw suspicious activity, others who listened closely to the communications of the Hamas and the other groups. I know you see this. It's all over the internet. It's all over the papers. So what happened. The guys in the lower levels saw it. They passed it up the chain of command. And the guys at the top of the command, the middle and top of command, said it's not true. We're not McCobble it. That, but you have information that says it's happening. And you might get people killed in the Otef, in, in, in the communities along the Gaza Strip. It's not going to happen, don't worry. That's literally Tim Tum Halev, that your lave, in this case your Das, gets stopped up, and you simply can't act rationally. Right? There's a whole kind of reasons for it, depending on how firm you want to be. You know, they say eating treif, but there's a lot of other things that cause Tim Tum Halev. And Gaiva, in general, cause Tim Halev. Isn't it remarkable that Israel's last two major wars, I mean big wars, is now in the Yom Kippur War. Two classic examples of Tim Tamalev. It's amazing. Because the Yom Kippur War is the same thing. The lower guys warned them, Egypt's going to attack on Yom Kippur. Watch out. And the guys at the Tower Namakabal, they suppressed it, all the rest of it. And the same thing happened now in our year in Tufshin Pei Dalit. The guys at the bottom, boys and girls, 
brave ones warned that this is happening, it's about to happen, and the delay was matumtum, it was blocked up. They couldn't connect the dots, as we say today, and move to action. Okay? So, the antithesis of Tim Tomalev is like ore. You know what I'm saying? You see the truth for what it is. Tim Tomalev usually comes, I would say, from either laziness or unwillingness to face facts, which is very human. We all have it to some degree. You know what I'm saying? But, uh, thinking about light, or especially in the context of divine light, because it was eight days as a nace, means you think things through without Tim Tomalev. And then you see things in a different light. And then that should move you to necessary action. These kind of notions I'm talking about percolated throughout the Jewish world, seems to me, a couple hundred years ago. And as they say, when the modern Hasidic movement started, the rabbis jumped on this with both <coughs> uh, hands and made it a big uh, ceremony thing. And they talk about these kind of inyanim and, uh, and became like, you know, a a big party, but a serious kind of party, right? In addition to that, so what I'm talking about, in other words, let me put it this way. I spoke about seeing things as they really are, as opposed to the Yitzhar always tries to get you to see things as they are not. Right? As I said before, Israel got caught with its pants down because they would not see things as they are. They saw things as they are not. And the Arabs took full advantage of this. I'm sorry to say, so are you. But um, it's also... If you want to get more spiritual, I guess. Uh, and I heard this uh, uh, texting with Noah Shabrick. He He's a big expert in all these sorts of things. And his son Akiva just translated some Chabad document about Zosah Hanukkah. Uh, he's very good at that. Um, anyway, uh, what you're, uh, what they're talking about is if you want to get very Hasidic, Pure spirituality, in other words, lishma. Um, how much looking at the lights? You know, how much is your ruchnius uh, affected, warped, hurt, or whatever by your shalul lishma? It's normal. It's, it's a human trait. You want to do a mitzvah, but you mess it up by saying, "I'm gonna get brownie points. I'm gonna get a award. I'm gonna get credit. Get a good shidduch. Hundred things like that, right?" That's why people nowadays are usually experts at self-advertising, self-aggrandizement on the internet and elsewhere. Because they may not need me. But that's not pure spirituality. The real Ishma is you want the light from Hashem, even if I don't get anything out of it. I'm winning because it's an evident Hashem. I want what's good for him. Not necessarily what's good for me. Now, it's always tricky because when you talk like that, you know you're going to get rewarded for the Lishma. But I'm not going to go and chase that, that the cat's tail, the tail of a cat. <clears throat> it's, again, these ideas came together on the last day, the eighth day of, of um, Hanukkah. And uh, I know that in many uh, Hasidic groups and others, that's when they have public burning of the pasilos, that the Shulchan Aruch says that the wicks and all that, which you use for the mitzvah, shouldn't just throw away. You should burn them, make a madura. So it's, uh, Shall I use the word another kind of Lagbomer? Uh, which, by the way, is also increasing every year by numbers. So you have the pure spirituality, you have the burning of the Psilos, and even the burning of the Psilos, you know, 
carries with it all kind of ideational associations. Like you're burning the stuff that, that fueled the fire. You know what I'm saying? No, that's the Shalolishma. Um, and finally, and here's the history part that's interesting to me. And I don't know, I didn't live in a Hasidic community, but I know that in Eastern Europe and Western Europe, many centuries ago, you see from this farm, for example, if you want to see the social criticism, check out the Ola Safrai Machanika at length. And what's he always complaining about? People spend their time on Hanukkah playing cards and, and drinking. Okay? Playing cards and drinking. We know this forum talk about the fact that where do you get Udas on Hanukkah? They have to come up with dokik shots and things like that. Like it's for the Mishkan and whatever. I understand that. But, um, you know what I'm saying. Where, uh, <laughs> how should I put it? Um, what are you supposed to do with the psilos? So you say, well, you get them together and you burn them. I'll have a confession to make. I never did that. I was going to go, my son-in-law started, so now I do it. Uh, it is in the Shulchan Aruch. I can't deny that. And uh, so they turned it into a, a sort of a log bomber situation where everybody comes with their psilos and they can burn them big big time. I don't understand why you don't take the opportunity to um, get rid of your um, Hoshinus, your Lulavim. Um, but I guess the older custom is to wait till the, you burn the, the hummus. And there are some Hasidic groups like the Bells that they wait to burn the psilos on Air Pesach also. But the idea of getting together with a fire and burning and so forth, that's very much there. Previous to that, there's a lot of drinking, a lot of partying. And when you drink and party, it's not common that has a good ending. No, it's not like people sitting, oh, yo, yo, and you talk about Ruchnias, and you know, you're getting high on booze in the positive sense of getting high. And you see Eulamos and this, and that, and the other. We're talking about getting drunk, baby. You know, in which you're disgusting. But you don't care. I know plenty of drunks here in Baltimore and elsewhere. I know plenty of them. They drink their head off, they don't, they don't care. Family doesn't like it. The kids don't like it. They don't care. They do it anyway. Notice once you're hooked, you're hooked. So it seems to me that this is my guess that. The early Hasidic movement, sort of like in a campaign against the drink and the gambling, at least turned one day, the last day, into a time of getting together and getting, I use the word odegyanta, but you know what I mean, you know, some from a gathering situation. And uh, it's, it was mirrors and shirvish bachas and rikudim and all the rest of it. And you celebrate the or and so forth. So you're not drinking, you're not uh, gambling. Um... I don't think this is popular today. Now, what do I know? I'm a stupid Baltimore, huh? and I live in my own Dalamas. So I know what goes on in Lakewood or these other places. But it used to be, in the old country, the carton, as they say, gambling was like, seriously a Hanukkah type thing. And um, and drinking was. Wine and whatever they had. Uh, that, I'm sure, messed up the character of Hanukkah as a holy day. And so the idea of those Hanukkah is part of the campaign to reclaim Hanukkah, this is what I think. Reclaim Hanukkah as a holy day, and that is a time simply for you know self indulgence and things like that. So it's just a few of the ideas of what we call those Hanukkah, and you see they all tie together. They come together in interesting ways on this eighth and last day. And remember, if you're given an extra chance until the last day of Hanukkah to repent. 
then uh, how should I put it? It is a really spiritual type thing. You know what I mean? In other words, it is on my limit of Teva, like the morale says. What I just described is beyond the Teva. Really, you were judged on the high holidays, and you got your verdict, and that's it. Um, and here you're giving all kinds of extras. Extra chance, extra chance, extra chances. That's Lamaila Min HaTeva. There's this Lamaila Min from the Rebbe Shalom's Teva. That's what I think anyway. Uh, I wanted to share that and thank, as I said before, Mishpacha Szymanski for um, being behind this, especially the week of the Father of the Yard site. We hope that Nisham will have an Aliyah and everybody will have a good Shabbos. Hi, it's... For sponsorship opportunities or to support this podcast, please visit our donate page at www.support.rabbidavidkatz.com.